We've got some fun, uh, quick announcements. First off, if you're new, we have a Connect card in front of the pews, which you can fill out. You can also scan this QR code. This is also how you find out about everything that's going on, which I'm going to tell you about now. So first up, we have our Light Up with Pride interfaith worship service. This is coming up in two Thursdays from now. Super exciting. Okay, so who liked Joey's uh, new song that he played? Yeah? Okay. So imagine a night of just that. Just all of that with like all kinds of different people. That's what that night's going to be like. So it's going to be really, really exciting. I think you should be there. I'll definitely be there. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yes? Um, we're going to have, we confirmed that Miss Pentecost from Chicago, who is a Christian-oriented drag performer, is going to be here um, for this event. So wow, yeah. So you don't want to miss that. I don't want to miss that. <laughs> Next, we have our annual congregation meeting on Sunday, June 25th. That is right after our service. So every year, the congregation comes together. We vote on the new budget. We vote on the new board, kind of the direction of where we're heading. So this is very important. Doesn't take too long, but it's happening June 25th after our service at 1115. And then later that day, if we have some junior high kids, or if you know junior high kids, we're having this really fun pool party in Encinitas. So you can drop off your kids as a parent, or you're welcome to stay with them. And feel free to invite as many high school people as you know. Junior high, yes. Is that high school or is that middle school? Oh man, that's middle school. What am I talking about? I'm well beyond junior high, so. But you aren't if you're a parent and have someone who is in junior high. So that's gonna be a lot of fun. Pool party, Saturday, Sunday, June 25th, 2 to 4.30 p.m. And lastly, if you'd like to support our mission, we are a 401c3 nonprofit. You can drop something in there in the back. You can go to our website, or you can always volunteer with your time. So thanks a lot. Enjoy the rest of the service. Hey, good morning. How are you guys? Good. For those of you who don't know, I'm Jason Coker. I'm one of the co-lead ministers here at the Oceanside Sanctuary. And uh, today I get to do, uh, aside from a little bit of teaching, I get to do something that we are really, really terrible at here at the Oceanside Sanctuary, and that is talk a little bit about giving. So for those of you who have been here for a while, you might have noticed we're a little bit different as a church in that we don't have an offering on Sunday mornings. Like if you have any experience with religion or church at all, typically in the course of a service, people pass around offering bags or baskets or something like that. The offering is kind of a featured part of the service. We don't do that because we think that churches have a pretty terrible reputation around money. Uh, this is typically the space where somebody like me would get up and tell you that if you just give us as much of your money as possible, that God will love you more, bless you more, and make your life that much easier. <laughs> so we don't do that here because that's not true, of course. Uh, I wish it was. I wish that I could tell you that if you just give us your money, that your life will suddenly become easier, uh, more prosperous. Uh, despite the fact that this isn't true, despite the fact that this is demonstrably false, 
I trust, pro I promise you, I've tried this, right? Despite the fact that we all know that this is, in fact, a big lie, uh, churches continue to do this. And uh, there are entire channels on cable television dedicated to doing this constantly. And there are people whose lives are so broken, so desperate, so painful, and so full of suffering that they will throw money at the possibility that it might be true. Uh, one of my friends who is not a churchgoer, one of my best friends, uh, we have dinner with his family almost every Sunday night, often teases me that there's a lot of money in religion and Janelle and I must be doing it wrong. Because uh, <laughs> we don't have a lot of money. Um, but we really believe very deeply that Christianity can be a, a powerful force for good in the community. That when not practiced as an expression of fear, or judgment, or bigotry, uh, or condemnation that actually can do the opposite, that we can build bridges of understanding, that we can embrace differences. Uh, but it turns out there's not a lot of money in that kind of Christianity, uh, which is okay, right? Uh, there's a lot of money in the world, uh, and I don't think God needs it, um, but it is useful for like keeping the electric bill paid. Right, and making sure that we have a staff. So there are two times a year that we do this, that we talk about money. Instead of passing an offering basket every Sunday and making a big deal out of your giving, uh, twice a year we ask you to consider making gifts to this church to help make sure that this mission of creating a more kind of just and generous expression of Christianity continues. So you might have noticed when you came in today that you received a handout that we don't often uh, do. This is our annual membership drive month. So every June, we talk about this a little bit, and every December, we talk about this a little bit. Every December, at the end of the year, we ask you to consider making a kind of extra gift to the church to help make sure that we can keep the light, lights on and feed hungry people in the neighborhood and do the good that we're committed doing, to doing in the community. And then every June, we ask you to consider becoming a member, a supporting member here at the Oceanside Sanctuary. So a supporting member is somebody who treats this place like it is a kind of co-op. Right, We all get something good out of being a part of this. We get to be a part of an important mission in the community. But in order to do that, we all need to contribute to it in some way. So Janelle and I contribute to the mission here in a variety of ways, including financially, because for us, this is a kind of co-op as well. We also really need people to give their time to help us do the things that we're doing. So you notice on the front side of this handout, there are a bunch of ways that you can volunteer here this year if you are so inclined. And in this upcoming year, when I say upcoming year, it's because July 1st is the beginning of our fiscal year. So this upcoming year, we're asking you to consider how you might get involved and help us to continue to push that mission forward. So you can help out with children's programs. Our kids here at the church are really exploding since January. People are starting to come out more often as families. And we have lots of hopes and dreams about things that we can do uh, to create thriving kids and youth programs. So if you're interested in helping with those, you can. We have a need for people to help out on Sunday morning. I've seen the Hillsong documentary too, right? So please rest assured this is not a big production. If you volunteer to help out on Sunday morning, we have no smoke machines. You won't be a 40-hour work unpaid roadie. Right? This is just your way of helping out once or twice a month to be a part of something that's important. If you play an instrument, are you saying, Joe, we can always use more folks, right, Joey? Yes. 
Yes, Joey can always use more folks. Uh, our food pantry is doing more and more. We continue to serve more families in the community every month. And I'm happy to share with you that we are going to be restarting our resource fairs that we used to do before COVID. Yes, so we're excited to get those started again. COVID kind of shut down our resource fairs for a while, but we're starting to plan to gear those up again this summer. We're going to need folks who might be willing to help with those resource fairs about once a quarter. And then we have teams here, ministry teams, like our anti-racism team and our justice works team, our queer committee. These are the ministry teams here that help us address issues in the community that we think are incredibly important, right? Helping to create anti-racist spaces, helping to advocate for just local policy changes, helping to create safe and empowering spaces for members of the queer community. And then lastly, for those of you who are just like, I don't know, technologically oriented, or you do graphic design, or you're, you're nerds. This is what I'm saying. Like, if you're a nerd, uh, which, you know, is great, we could always use some admin support, too. Our operations manager is Alexis, and she can always use help with, like, making flyers and updating the website and that kind of stuff. The point is, if you are a part of this church and you want to be supportive in some way, these are all ways that you can get involved. And then on the back side of this bulletin, uh, you'll see some ways for you to check off. Like, yeah, I'd like to help out. You can check a box next to the team that you'd like to help out with. And then if you would like to financially support the Oceanside Sanctuary, we ask you to consider making a kind of pledge. You can check the box there that says, yes, we plan to give a monthly gift of, and then there's a blank, right? Now let's talk a little bit about the blank. I know a lot of churches make a big deal out of tithing, which is this sort of old uh, testament practice of giving 10%. That's not what we talk about here. I'll, I'll let you in on a little secret from the ministry side of things. Nobody tithes, right? Like nobody gives 10%. I mean, if that's you, if you're giving 10%, great. Historically, like on average, people give about 2.5% of their income to charity. That's a lot of money, right? 2.5% of their income to the causes that they think are important in the world. But number one, we don't know how much money you make, and I don't want to know. That's none of our business. Number two, I don't know what else you might be giving to, and I don't need to know that either. That also is none of my business. How much of your money you give to this place is entirely up to you and really is a measure of, A, how much you like what we're doing. Like, do you think this is a good thing? Uh, B, how much do you trust us, right? Like, you see me like heading off to the airport to fly off in my private jet, you probably have some important questions to ask about the trustworthiness of this as a charitable organization. Um, but do you trust that we are using your gifts in ways that are really doing good in the community? And then number three, important third thing, can you afford to give to charity? You know, we live in a world where a lot of people are very financially pressed. Um, and sometimes it's very difficult for people to give. If that's you, that's okay. Now, Janelle and I give to this church. We give to this church every week. And we do that because we believe in the mission. We believe in the integrity of this place, right? We report to a board of directors that makes sure that we're spending money in good ways. And also, we are fortunate enough that we can give joyfully and without stress. And to me, that's the test, right? When we ask ourselves, how much can we give to the charities that we really believe in? 
We want to give as much as we possibly can that helps us to be full of joy because we get to be a part of an important mission without completely stressing ourselves out. Right? Like we got to be able to pay our mortgage, we have to be able to keep our lights on at home, we have to be able to buy food. If we're giving so much to charity that we can't afford to take care of our own family, our own kids, that's not good. Right? So Janelle and I have decided how much we can give, and we give that uh, amount to this church because we believe in this place. And I wouldn't ask you, Janelle wouldn't ask you to do anything that we weren't willing to do first. Um, so that's, that's how we approach this. And I'm asking you guys to consider doing that too. If you can't, that's okay. If you're not sure yet if you believe in this place, that's okay. If you're not sure yet if you trust this place, that's okay. You get to make those decisions in your own time. But if you do, I want to ask that you consider making a pledge, putting it on here, just fold it up, pop it in the box there at the back. And here's what this does for us. It helps us to know what kind of realistic budget we can build for next year. Right? We have some sense of like what giving commitments here are. Um, and if you know six months from now you can't fulfill that commitment, we're not going to come knocking on your door. That would be gross, right? <laughs> Life happens. We know that. That's okay. Uh, but this just helps us to, like, as a co-op, have some sense of, like, what we're able to do in the upcoming year. Now, I would love nothing better than to take your questions right now, but somebody here is expecting me to preach a sermon, too. Uh, so I'll just say that if you have questions about any of this, volunteering, giving, what we do with our money, all that good stuff, first, come to the congregational meeting on June 25th, because we do talk about this stuff there, right? And if you consider yourself a part of this place, then we consider you a member. It's as simple as that. Uh, but that's where you'll get to see like our budget and all the line items and all that good stuff. And you can ask questions. We're happy to answer them. Or... You can come to us anytime after church or send us an email or give us a call and say, hey, how much does the church spend? What does the church spend its money on? All that good stuff. We're very transparent about that. We believe that nonprofits should be transparent. Right? Make sense? Okay. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you so much for today, for this opportunity for us to come together and to celebrate, to worship to lift up our hearts and our minds to you, to settle into a space of being stretched and grown spiritually. God, it's my prayer that as we learn to be drawn in by your spirit into all the little ways that you are at work in our lives and at work in the world around us, that you would uh, gently stretch us past our comfort zone. That we would discover all the little ways that maybe we are uh, holding back because of fear. Teach us to embrace all the ways that you are at work and bringing about new creation in the world. It's our desire to be a part of the good things that you're doing. So teach us how to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, by the way, for those of you who have noticed, every time we are singing at the first half of the service and Joey invites us to clap, uh, I try not to clap. My clapping is generally not helpful. 
right? I'm one of those folks who just stand, you know, like rhythm is hard for me. I spent the better part of 20 years trying to learn how to play the guitar. And I discovered that all the things that you do with your left hand, I'm like a right-handed guitar player, all the things you do with your left hand to make chords is actually not that hard. But this part for me is really, really hard, right? Rhythm is difficult. Rhythm requires that you let go of the sort of analytical side of your brain and that you lean by faith into this intuitive experience that I just really struggle with. This also is why you will never see me dance. Listen, I should never be dancing anywhere, anytime, in any situation because you will all look at me and say, that's the craziest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> Or at least that's what like that part of my brain tells me, right? And this I have found is sort of the issue, right? That when we live into these sort of analytical postures of control, that it tends to sort of lock us up. And that the trick is to learn to embrace this side of us, this side of our brain that can lean into the rhythms of life without having to be in control of it. This is hard for me. I'm a very like analytical person by nature. And I wanted to share that with you mostly because we are in a new series that I'm calling Following the Spirit. And we're talking about this dynamic of how we know what the Spirit of God is doing and how we join with the Spirit of God. And today I want to talk to you about the notion that following the Spirit of God is like leaning into rhythms of life, that it requires us to let go of that sort of judgmental analytical side of our brains and to embrace that kind of intuitive side of our brains. Last week I said that when the Spirit of God comes, we took a look at the story of Cornelius in uh, the book of Acts and Peter's uh, interaction with Cornelius. I said that the Spirit, when the Spirit of God comes, creates new possibilities, right? It tends to cross boundaries. Today I wanna go all the way back to Genesis chapter one and visit the very first instance of the Spirit of God in Scripture. We find this in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Sometimes we think about the Holy Spirit as something that comes about in the New Testament, in Christian Scripture, but actually we find the Spirit right here at the beginning of uh, the Hebrew Bible. Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 1, says this. You've heard this before. Very familiar passage, in the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void, and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. And then God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. That word in my Bible, the New Revised Standard Version, wind, which we see there in verse 2, the earth was a formless void and darkness covered the face of the deep while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. That word wind translated into English is the Hebrew word ruach, which means spirit. It is a kind of metaphorical word, right? Spirit is a word that doesn't have substance 
for us. This Hebrew word ruach gives it a kind of metaphorical substance as wind, which is this idea of something invisible that we can't see, but we can feel. Something invisible that affects us and impacts us, but we can't control it. Later, when Jesus is talking about the Spirit of God, he says the Spirit of God is like the wind. You don't know where it's coming from. You don't know where it's going, but you can feel it. The essential idea of the Spirit of God is that it has power like the wind, but it's not something that you can see or control. It's not up to you to grab a hold of it. Now, I want to stop here and just say something that probably doesn't need to be said in this congregation, but I'll say it anyway. Genesis chapter 1 is not about the historical geological facts of the creation of the world. Maybe you've been to like, I don't know, the Ken Ham, like, you know, uh, museum of Noah, and, you know, there's a full-size rendering of the ark, but listen, Genesis, the Torah in general, is not a history book. It is not a science text. Somebody did not sit down and write Genesis chapter 1 because they wanted to relay to us the actual facts of how the material world came into being. These are not the natural facts of history, but they are the facts of the dynamic of human existence. This is not a history book or a textbook. It is a poetic and mythical treatment of what it means to be human. The ancient Hebrew text begins with this idea of creation because to be spiritual, to be a human being, begins with creation. It begins with the act of creativity. It begins with birth, this notion of something being birthed into the world. And that's what's happening here. There is a formless void. In other words, there is a kind of chaos, a darkness that exists at the very beginning. And into this chaos, into this darkness, the spirit enters and does something incredibly important for creating new things. The spirit creates and affirms difference. The Spirit of God enters into this formless void and creates light, and that light enters into the darkness and is separated. In between the two, we now have distinctions of difference. So when the Spirit of God comes into our lives and addresses the formless chaos, the struggle, the conflict, the wrestling that we experience, what the Spirit of God does is begin to distinguish between two things. This is the first act of creation. This is, in fact, the creation of the first rhythm in existence. Because God takes this light, takes this darkness, this distinction, this difference, and God creates day and night. Now we have a rhythm in our life between two different things. Just as the wind of God separates the day from the night, later we see that the waters of the Red Sea are parted so that the Israelites can't escape bondage in Egypt. Distinction and difference creates a way for liberation out of bondage. 
Later, we see that the waters of the Jordan River likewise are separated by a wind that comes and separates them so that the Israelites can enter into the promised land. The separation of distinction and difference creates a way for liberation. These are the rhythms that we live into. Our lives are full of these kinds of rhythms between two different things. Darkness and night. Sleeping and waking. Work and rest. Sorrow and joy. Conflict and peace. Doubt and faith. Birth and death. Chaos and order. Destruction and creation. These are the rhythms of what it means to be human. The Spirit of God leads us into those rhythms. Our great temptation, I think, is to conquer those differences, to flatten human existence, to take differences and distinctions and overcome them to create a kind of sameness, a kind of homogeneity, and thereby do violence to the differences that enrich our lives. We do this partly because we have a desire to be in control. We desire to be in charge of these rhythms of life. These rhythms of life enter in and they disrupt us. They make us feel uneasy. We're not quite sure how we feel about the movement back and forth, the pendulum swing between the normal rhythms of life. But birth needs death. Death needs birth. Faith needs doubt. Just as doubt needs faith, construction needs deconstruction, which leads to construction, which leads to deconstruction. This is how our lives proceed. This is, in fact, how we grow. Because whatever constructs we're living under, whatever good thing has been created so that we can make sense of the world and live into it in good ways, at some point that construct begins to fail. The new tests of life begin to enter in and disintegrate those constructs, challenge those notions, and soon we realize that the ideas about the world that made sense for us when we were eight don't make sense anymore. And so we build new constructs as adolescents, new ways of seeing life and understanding ourselves and each other. And those work for us for a while until sometime in our mid-20s we discover that we're experiencing life in whole new ways and our adolescent ideas of the world no longer work. And what was constructed and at one time perfectly good for us no longer works anymore. And so we take it apart and we examine it and we figure out what isn't working and we intuitively learn to lean into new possibilities. This is the rhythm of life. This is, in fact, the rhythm of creation. The Spirit of God enters into these voids, these places of darkness, these places of chaos, and teaches us to lean into those rhythms. We're tempted, I think, to see passages like this and think that day and light, or day and, uh, and night, light and darkness mean good and evil. And these sort of false binary of good and evil causes us to want to lean into that earlier temptation I talked about to eradicate one side of this rhythm, but we need those rhythms. 
So the Spirit of God comes into these spaces in our lives and affirms these different experiences, honors these differences. The Holy Spirit comes and mediates reconciliation and relationship between these differences in our lives. Teaches us to enter into a kind of intuitive dance. Sometimes theologians speak about the Trinity, the, this idea that God is triune, this idea that God exists uh, as uh, God in spirit and Christ, this sort of mysterious relationship between the three. Sometimes theologians refer to this as perichoresis, which is a Greek word which just means a dance. For you Richard Rohr fans, he wrote a whole book about perichoresis called the divine dance, this idea that God self is also engaged in an ongoing rhythm, an ongoing dance between the various aspects of God. And that, that is the model of our lives too, that in our relationships, not only with God, but with each other, there is a kind of dance, a kind of rhythm to it that we must learn to lean into. And that rhythm requires that we embrace every aspect of ourselves, light and dark, birth and death, faith and doubt, construction, deconstruction, construction again. The point of this passage, the point of the way that I'm sharing this with you today is that this is how the spirit creates. This is the story of creation, how the world was conceived, how the Spirit of God entered into the darkness and the void and how she gave birth to something new. It's out of this dance of light and dark, it's out of this first rhythm that the Spirit of God creates the whole world. Every plant, every animal, every rock, every twig, every human being, it's from this space that the Spirit of God creates life. And that's how it works for me too. That's how it works for you. That when we embrace both sides of the rhythm of life, that the Spirit of God enters in, reconciles those differences, and creates new things for us. New expressions of life and goodness and peace and justice. That sounds good to me. How about you? Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you again for uh, this opportunity for us to lean into expressions of worship here this morning that as we settle into this time and this space of being challenged and stretched by you that you would help us to embrace the rhythms of spirituality that you are presenting to us. And that out of that tension, that, that tug and pull in between, that you would help us to birth new places of life and goodness. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.